baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, a discussion of one of the topics making news this week. This is KCBS In-Depth. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the governor-elect of the state of California, Gavin Newsom. This week in California politics kicked off with the inauguration of the state's new governor. I'm humbled to be here and I just want to uh, express my appreciation to former governors for being here and all the elected officials that are assembled here. And as it progressed, Newsom has been laying out his priorities. We're committed to launching a Marshall Plan for affordable housing. We will never waver in our pursuit of guaranteed health care for all Californians. And we will defend the progress we've made to reform our criminal justice system. We will continue the fight. On Thursday, in fact, Newsom submitted his first budget proposal during a nearly two-hour-long address. It was detailed. Full disclosure, this is something I really enjoy. I'm Keith Menconi, and today on In-Depth, we're going to look at how Governor Newsom's agenda is taking shape one week in and how the state is reacting. We're going to start off with the politics of all this, and for that, of course, we're going to need the help of KCBS political reporter Doug Sovert, who's been covering the governor's first week for us. So, Doug, what have we learned so far about where the new governor's priorities are uh, and how he's likely to govern? Well, we've learned that his priorities are exactly what he said they would be during the campaign, and that is early childhood education, families, reducing poverty and homelessness, building housing, and expanding schools and social service programs. That's what he promised to do on Monday in his inaugural, and it's what he's doing in his budget proposal if he gets his way at the legislature. And as far as how he'll govern, He's going to govern as governor, it seems, in much the way he did as mayor of San Francisco, which is thinking big, thinking outside the box with original ideas to solve problems and talking at great length about them to all comers. Uh, His budget presentation was almost two hours. Most governors, it's maybe 30, 45 minutes at most, much like the legendary eight-hour State of the City address he once gave as mayor of San Francisco. So he also is positioning himself very much as a foil to Donald Trump. Um, he, he wasn't especially antagonistic, but he provided a counterpoint to Trump on a number of issues, whether it was immigration, uh, the Affordable Care Act, forest management, uh, even the government shutdown, offering unemployment benefits from the state to any federal worker who's furloughed, who normally would not be eligible for unemployment. So at every turn he can find, he's going to offer an alternative, as he promised he would, to what Donald Trump is doing in Washington. All right. So his leadership style starting to take shape. Now, he has two big advantages as he begins his new job. On the one hand, he has under his belt a a large budget surplus that he's inheriting from former now governor Jerry Brown. And on the other, he has a supermajority in the legislature here in California. So he's got a very friendly legislature full of uh, Democrats that are kind of on his team. How uh, likely is it that with those uh, tailwinds at his back, he's going to be able to get his agenda passed and uh, I guess in the short term as well, get that budget passed? Yeah, he's very lucky because, as you say, he's got a twenty one and a half billion dollar 
surplus, which is extraordinary, the largest one in an almost probably 20 years. Uh, most governors don't have that. And he's got a supermajority in both houses of the uh, legislature. So they'll do pretty much what he wants. He's, he finds himself in an interesting position, much like Governor Brown, having to be sort of the check on the more progressive tendencies of the Democratic lawmakers who want to spend even more than Newsom does. So he's going to get what he wants from the legislature in terms of spending on all these programs. He will have to keep them from wanting to spend even more than he wants on certain programs. They're going to want to nibble away at that rainy day fund. They're going to want to nibble away at the money he's putting into pension liabilities. They're going to say, look, we have all this money. Let's spend more of it, both to meet the needs that they see and also because they've got interests who are pressuring them to spend money on things. So there will be a give and take. I, I would guess in the end he will give more money for spending than, he, than he's budgeting now um, to get what he wants from the legislature on other things. And don't forget, the last governor with this kind of surplus was Gray Davis, who spent it all, didn't squirrel any of it away, and then found himself recalled uh, you know, just a couple of years later and out of a job early in his second term. So you do have to be careful. And Newsom has learned from Governor Brown that uh, it's best to save some for a rainy day. And he's learned from what we went through, you know, in the last 10 years that we can have really bad recessions. And while no one thinks the next one will be as bad as the last one, you better have some money salted away so that when the time comes, you don't have to slash and burn state programs the way Davis had to and when, the way Schwarzenegger had to. So if anything, it's not so much a question of will he be able to get his spending passed? It's more a question of will he be able to say no to all the other people that are going to want more spending to happen? Yeah, that is the concern of the Republican minority is he's got to say no to their Democratic colleagues who want to spend, spend, spend. And he will to some extent, but they'll go back and forth. That's how this process works. Of course, they have to pass it now by June 15th or they stop getting paid. So it'll get passed on time. In the old days, we would drag on and on for days and weeks and even months. It would be like a government shutdown. Workers would be getting paid with vouchers. That doesn't happen anymore because the law was changed. So the budget will pass. It'll pass on time. It might even pass early. And it'll probably have most of what Gavin Newsom is asking for and probably a few other things as well. All right. And that is KCBS political reporter Doug Sovereign. Thank you, Doug. Thank you. There is a lot to cover in this budget, as in any budget. So for the rest of the show, we're going to be focusing on some of the most headline-grabbing proposals so far. And then at the end, we're going to check in with the numbers guys to see... Will the numbers actually add up? Can we afford this? Now for the first of those headline grabbers, the governor's proposals on health care. In our home, every person should have access to quality, affordable health care. Governor Newsom actually introduced some major health care proposals just a few hours after his inauguration. In his sights are a number of things, including pushing down drug prices, increasing subsidies for those insured on the public market, and allowing undocumented young adults to stay on Medi-Cal longer. So, a lot going on there, but what does this all add up to? So I do think that um, we are getting a clear indication, both uh, during the campaign and now in, uh, as governor, that uh, Governor Newsom is going to be uh, very active in, in the, uh, the health care uh, area. That's Dr. Andrew Bindman. He is a professor of medicine and a faculty member at the Institute for Health Policy Studies at the University of California, San Francisco. And he also did some work helping to draft portions of the Affordable Care Act. Dr. Bindman says that Governor Newsom's plan will build on coverage gains that have already been made. California has seen enormous improvements in the 
uh, numbers of people who have a health insurance coverage uh, since the passage of the ACA. And in his view, these measures are something of a turning point. I think these things have the ability. We are within striking distance of getting to um, European level numbers of what it means to have universal coverage. Uh, we are already in the vicinity of about 93 to 94% of our population covered. Uh, with the kinds of changes that he's uh, in, uh, talking about here, we will tick up another uh, percentage point or two. And uh, you know these kinds of changes can, can make the difference of getting us to what is essentially, many people regard getting to about 97, 98% to be essentially universal uh, coverage. So we are very much within striking distance of that. And that's a very exciting goal, one that we never would have imagined possible even uh, you know, 10 years ago when California had among the highest rates of uninsurance in the country. And now we are really a leading state in terms of really having the opportunity of getting uh, to uh, nearly uh, universal coverage. Now, without going too far into the weeds, let's just take a few minutes to explain what's in these proposals. First, how is Governor Newsom hoping to drive down the costs of medications? Well, right now, state agencies and healthcare programs, whether we're talking about Medi-Cal or the prison system, are all negotiating drug prices on their own. Governor Newsom wants to change that and to have them instead negotiate together. So it's just like when you go to um, uh, certain stores where you commit to buying larger volumes uh, that you can often get those items at a lower cost. This is the idea here, to strengthen the state's purchasing power by bringing together uh, these different entities. Another big change. Newsom is also calling for more subsidies to go to people buying their insurance through California's Affordable Care Act marketplace called Covered California. The changes would both increase subsidies and expand access to middle-income families that currently make too much to qualify. Dr. Bindman says while the federal subsidies in place have already helped many people get on the market, for many others, the high price tag of coverage has put insurance out of reach even with the subsidies, and so many have opted out. There are still um, uh, hundreds of thousands who would be eligible for those tax subsidies but have not taken advantage of them to buy health insurance. And some have characterized this as the federal government offering, say, an eight-foot ladder for a ten-foot problem. And what Governor Newsom is proposing is to um, do a couple of things. One is to add on top of the federal subsidy that's available for people in uh, the income groups targeted by the federal law under the ACA, uh, and to give some additional state support to make it more possible for those individuals to say, aha, now it is affordable for me to be able to go and buy health insurance. So, Dr. Bindman, I mean, probably the most controversial of these proposals is that to expand Medi-Cal coverage to undocumented immigrants in California. Uh, critics there are arguing that uh, they don't want more tax dollars to go to those in the country illegally. But even beyond that, uh, you know, the high price tag of this and just the fact that it's healthcare and healthcare is always a very controversial topic are going to make these difficult waters to wade through. So in your view, how far is Governor Newsom going to be able to go 
in expanding public health care in California? Well, I think it's quite clear that uh, there are things that uh, will be within uh, the control of the governor, uh, such as the proposals around affordability and, and uh, expanding of the Medi-Cal program to uh, undocumented adults. But to really move forward on um, uh, and, and to finalize toward a single-payer system will require the cooperation of the federal government. Uh, uh, much of the money that would be used for such a system is controlled by the federal government, and permissions would have to be obtained both in the form of uh, waivers or changes in, in law that Congress would have to pass. Um, I think Governor Newsom uh, has opportunities to explore that, to think about how to do that. Uh, but the reality is, I think, uh, with um, the current administration in the White House, um, he's likely not to have the level of cooperation that one would ideally have to be able to uh, follow through on all of the things that he articulated uh, uh, during his campaign. So some of this may be preparatory work for when there may be a change in administration. But in the meantime, I think he is already signaling that he wants to move in this direction by making some of the changes that are within his control uh, within the state. listening to KCBS's In-Depth. I'm Keith Menconi. This week, we're taking a look at some of the major priorities laid out by Governor Newsom during his first week in office. Up next, we're going to talk about what Gavin Newsom is doing to step up California's response to wildfires. The governor did not waste much time after his inauguration to step into this issue as well. On Tuesday, he laid out his plan at a Cal Fire station in the Sierra foothills, calling for new equipment, historic investment, new strategies to pre-deploy pre uh, resources and assets. Specifically, we're talking about tens of millions in additional funding that'll go towards reducing fuel loads, increasing firefighting personnel and equipment, and helping local governments handle emergencies. Governor Newsom is also shaking up business as usual with two executive orders. Strikes me as a very positive move. That's Ron Coleman. He's a former California state fire marshal who's also worked in the private sector to consult on firefighting. We've published numerous documents uh, like uh, fire plans and uh, strategic plans and various sundry other documents uh, calling for action. And this one puts uh, some money where our mouth is. So given your experience both inside and outside of government, what in this proposal that Gavin has laid out is looking promising to you. Well, one of the things I'm impressed with is the uh, desire to, to uh, be more innovative and to use technology as part of our solution. There is no one single problem, or one single action that you can take that's going to reduce the problem. It, it's complex. We've got fuels, we've got topography, we've got weather. Uh, man can do certain things about fuel. Man can do certain things uh, uh, about uh, uh, technology, but there is no one simple solution. Yeah, and let's talk about some of those, I guess, more innovative solutions that he's talking about there. So a couple of the ones uh, that caught my eye is he's talking about new technologies, uh, including cameras to track wildlands, a couple of other. Uh, he's also talking about increasing mental health services for first responders. What are some of the uh, innovative things, uh, perhaps one of the ones I just mentioned there that really caught your eye? Well, I, I uh, have uh, an interest in some of the same ones that you just mentioned there. Uh, firefighter safety is a bigger issue than people think. Uh, 
Uh, what impressed me during this last firestorm was the number of firefighters who lost their homes while they were out fighting fire. And uh, this particular approach that's being taken here is multidimensional and uh, has, uh, um, has some real positive things that can occur uh, that we haven't tried in the past to a very large degree. And that's the use of technology and, and being concerned about the firefighters uh, themselves. So, of course, we are in very early days of uh, Governor Newsom's governorship. And uh, if this is a step in the right direction, what are you going to be watching for to make sure that the next step and the next step and the step after that are continuing on the path that you would like to see? Well, uh, what I'm looking for is action, uh, commitment and closure. Uh, there's an awful lot of things that can be done on the ground, uh, but uh, you've got to overcome some political resistance to that. And uh, I'm anxious to see how the governor is going to implement this. All right. And we've been speaking there to Ron Coleman. He's a former California state fire marshal and a uh, forestry and fire protection chief. Uh, who now uh, works in the private sector as well. Ron Coleman, thank you very much for speaking with us. You're welcome. Also, we're going to deliver on the promise we made in the campaign on full-day universal kindergarten. Another major pillar of the governor's budget proposal is increased support for early childhood education and child services. One quarter of our kids live in districts. This is just interesting. One quarter of our kids live in districts that don't offer that. So in addition to the funds that would help more districts offer full-day kindergarten programs, the governor is also calling for hundreds of millions more dollars to go toward boosting child care facilities, training child care workers, and providing more health services to children. Uh, to learn more about where the dollars would be going exactly, I spoke with Ted Lempert. He is the president of Children Now, a child welfare advocacy group based in Oakland. Lempert applauds the move. Well, part of the exciting part is that he's Putting all those uh, different early childhood issues in the proposal, I, I think that you know it's really important that there's integrated services and there's not just one answer to what kids and families need in those earliest years. So we were actually very excited about the comprehensiveness of it. He says the funds are needed to address what he considers to be a critical lack of early childhood support in California. I mean, one whatever reason, um, a whole lot of other countries have figured this out. The United States hasn't. So, you know, many countries invest heavily in the early years, um, and we're just starting to get um, around to it. Um, so the crisis is that, you know, so many families are struggling with, you know, how, how, where do I find child care? Where do I find quality child care? And it's the, you know, the time in families' lives that are the most stressful, um, you know, having young kids. Economically, it tends to be very stressful. Um, and, you know, some kids, the kids in higher income families are, are able to get and pay for the support they need, uh, but, but, you know, most uh, cannot. And so, it, you know, we, we need to ensure that every child has access, you know, to quality programs if that's what their family wants for them in the early years. But it is a crisis. I mean, one stat is that it, it actually costs more to have uh, infant-toddler child care than it does for a year, than it does for a year at UC. So, you know, these, you know, it's expensive and, you know, most families cannot afford this. And how is that impacting young children or how is that impacting the lives of children as they get older, the fact that they didn't have that support when they were younger? Well, what we know today that we didn't know a couple decades ago was that most of the brain development uh, actually occurs before age five. So 
where we're seeing this, and you can ask kindergarten teacher, and the, the research shows this, is kids are showing up for kindergarten, and there's already significant gaps in, in just, you know, kids' ability to learn and social-emotional development. So it, it's not that, a, you know, it's, it's all over by the time of age five. That said, um, you know, those gaps are very hard to overcome if, if, if you wait till kindergarten. So what we're, we're realizing now is actually the time to ensure there's real quality support is in those earliest years. And so that, you know, kids are on a more equal footing um, as, as they move along, as opposed to having huge gaps, you know, even before a kid starts kindergarten. So you'll have to forgive those of us that are, are not following these sorts of uh, policy issues day in and day out. But uh, for, for many of us, I think that having this, uh, having early childhood education become a central pillar of Governor Newsom's first budget proposal uh, honestly, it sort of feels like it's coming out of nowhere. But I'm sure for folks that are following uh, this, it's not coming out of nowhere. So tell us a little bit of the context of where this is coming from. Sure. Well, I mean, one thing, and, and, and folks in this area certainly know, you know, Governor Newsom tends to be a little ahead of the time, certainly with his work in marriage equality and other issues. So he, I, I think, appropriately is seeing this issue as really going to be an issue that everyone's focused on down, you know, soon. And he's getting ahead of the curve. Um, that said, you know, many of us, and certainly at Children Now and uh, at Children's Advocates, and I think, you, you know, parents with young kids today will, will um, say very strongly that this is, is really a, a pressing and, and, and the top priority issue. Because as much as we focus on uh, gaps in K-12 and that some kids are able to go to better schools, at least every kid has access to, you know, some school in K-12 through and hopefully a quality one. What's going on in the early years is, you know, some kids have access to uh, very strong educators who know how to work with young children and, and, and make sure they're getting their, their appropriate supports early on. Other kids are, you know, literally stuck in front of a TV computer or, you know, left with a cousin, just someone watching them. And so there's a huge, huge divide in what some kids are getting and others aren't. So the, the, the gaps in those early years are what's really so uh, alarming. And, you know, Governor Newsom, I think both personally and from a policy level, you know, gets that and, and I think has the opportunity to be, really be out in front nationally on an issue that's going to gain more and more attention. All right. And uh, we have been speaking there to Ted Lempert. He is the president of Children Now. Ted, thank you very much for speaking with us. My pleasure. Happy to do it. So after all that, you add it all up. The headline number here is $209 billion. That is the amount that the governor is asking for in his proposal. And as we've been hearing, it includes a, a lot of programs that folks in California say are, are needed, uh, wanted, and in some cases crucial. But of course, the question after all that is, can we afford it? Can we afford all this? Governor Newsom even raised the issue of spending prudence during his address on the budget. So we're moderating our projections based upon the legitimate anxiety that we are overdue for a correction. Because of those concerns, he's planning to use $13.5 billion of the surplus to retire debt and increase the state's reserve fund. It's a real balancing act, you know, between on the one hand fiscal prudence and on the other addressing real social needs. And the multi-billion dollar question, as we just mentioned a moment ago, is Gavin Newsom getting that balancing act correct? To help us start to answer that big question, I spoke with... 
Michael Boskin, Professor of Economics and Hoover Institution Senior Fellow at Stanford University. And also... Henry Brady, Dean of the Goldman School of Public Policy and Professor of Political Science and Public Policy at the University of California, Berkeley. And to start off the conversation, I asked a basic question. How is it that after all the spending we've been talking about on the program today, California still has room to save? We'll start off with the answer from Dr. Henry Brady. Because we've had lots of growth in California because it's a great economy right now. And so he has, by his estimates, it's it's more than what the legislative analyst says we have, but by his estimate, a $21.6 billion surplus. And so he can use a portion of that, and he's proposing about $13.6 billion to go into dealing with problems, rainy day funds and pension plans and so forth. And then the rest is new initiatives, although many of those uh, are temporary new initiatives. All right. Uh, and uh, let's turn things over to uh, Michael Boskin. Uh, so uh, there has been some criticism, you know, so he's saying we are putting some of this money into the rainy day fund. The more conservative lawmakers are saying that uh, even more needs to go there. And in we don't know when the next big turndown is going to strike California. Do you are you comfortable with the amount that's being squirreled away? No, I'm not. I think we should give the governor his due. He has made some small steps in a good direction. Um, first of all, just to, to set the stage for your uh, listeners, uh, this isn't the real budget that is going to be negotiated. That will be in what's called the May revise, uh, because the fiscal year starts July 1st, and that's when the real negotiation will start, and we'll have five more months of data. We'll know whether the stock market has continued down or has stabilized. California has a very volatile revenue system that relies very heavily on capital gains uh, revenue and stock options from tech companies. So they'll have a a more updated picture. But if we are fortunate enough that the growth continues uh, as the governor's budget presumes, um, then he has a sizable uh, amount of cash right now to use. But we do not have a cruel accounting as would be proper in our California budget. And actually the amount of like a pension fund contributions he's defeasing probably are a bit less than the accrued increase that's occurring throughout the year. So on a cash basis, this is a step in the right direction. In his own budget, he estimates that California has over $250 billion of unfunded liabilities. So $4 billion is a tiny, it's a good step, but it's a tiny step. Uh, the rainy day fund of nine, which he plans to get up to almost $20 billion over a few years. Um, is a good thing, but it's too small to handle a, anything other than a trivial recession or a, a period of slow growth. And I'd also, it would be a good thing if uh, there was some sort of um, fuller information about a lot of things that were left unspecified in the budget. The governor said he's going to lay out a five-year capital plan And in there, he's going to talk about what would best be described as the uh, eight times more expensive for Californians than originally uh, labeled when they raised the bond funds, uh, badly uh, behind schedule and technologically uh, struggling uh, to get through the Tehachapi's, for example, and no longer a bullet train. It's now a mixed speed rail. Uh, That's going to be the biggest boondoggle in the state's history. We'll see if the governor has the the will and the foresight and the common sense to scale that back and hopefully even end it. Also, what will happen to the twin uh, tunnels. So there's a lot of unknowns in here, and that's not entirely uh, unreasonable. I mean, we'll see as time goes on how things develop. 
My last concern is he's made a lot of one-time commitments, and he heralds that as being fiscally responsible because he's not sure we'll have the money in a year or two if a recession hits. That's sensible. But there are very few government programs, once started, that get uh, ended. So we'll see. Once this gets started, those interest groups you spoke to early in the program are going to be lobbying for them to continue and to cut somewhere else if revenues are insufficient or to raise taxes even more. California's already... The, uh, high, has the highest income tax, the second highest sales tax, and uh, high gasoline taxes. So a lot left unspecified. Uh, so there's something for everybody to like in here and something for everybody to be worried about. All right. So, uh, Henry Brady, uh, there is certainly, you know, storm clouds potentially on the horizon with, uh, you know, you never know when the next downturn is going to happen. Do you share Dr. Boskin's concerns that uh, California may be vulnerable? Well, Professor Boskin's right to say that we we do have issues like the quarter of a trillion dollars in pension and other obligations that we have to worry about. And certainly we should be thinking more about those things. At the same time, we've got problems in California that we probably should be dealing with, like a very high level uh, of poverty. Uh, We are still not doing as well as we should be doing with respect to education. We lag in education spending compared to states like New York or Connecticut or Pennsylvania even. Uh, And so what he's trying to do in this budget is in fact start to fix some of those problems. So for example, on the poverty front, he's increasing the earned income tax credit, uh, more than doubling it for low income families. Uh, And this is a proven program. Uh, Liberals and conservatives agree that it really does the job it's supposed to do, which is provide an incentive for people to work and to allow them to at the same time have enough money so that they can get by. Uh, So that's a great program. And any budget, you've got to think about, on the one hand, current or near-term problems like volatility, but you also got to think about investments in things that in the long run will mean you're going to have growth. And so I think this budget actually tries to do both, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, So there's also a lot of investment in uh, other areas as well, which I think could make the state better off. So a beginning on trying to deal with some of the housing problems, I'm not sure that the set of programs that are there are going to quite fix the problem. Uh, Part of the problems have to do with regulations and the difficulty of getting anything built in California. But he's even talked about how he is going to try to push localities to deal with those kinds of problems. So I see a lot of hope in this budget. And I do worry about the things that Professor Boskin talks about. But on the other hand, I think you've got to think of a budget as an attempt to invest in the future as well. And I think this budget does some of that. Yeah, I would agree with some of that. I think we do have these serious problems. California, sadly, has by far the highest poverty rate of any state when you adjust for the cost of living. Um, And we have a variety of other problems uh, besides high housing prices. Uh, And Henry rightly points to Uh, California's extreme regulation uh, that makes it very difficult to build. The the thing that I would worry about is not so much that he that the governor has uh, not not properly identified problems. I think he's done that, but whether what he's proposing will make much of an impact, when probably a much bigger impact would be taking the base level of spending already going into those programs and make it much more efficient with reforms. We spend a vast amount of we spend a vast amount on many things and don't get much for bang for a buck. A couple of examples: uh, he's increasing education spending. There's a complaint we don't spend enough. Six over six. We're already spending over sixteen thousand dollars per student in K through twelve education for a class size of thirty. To use a round number, maybe they should be twenty-five. It's a half almost half a million dollars, and the teacher's making sixty thousand. So a vast amount of money is going to things that really aren't going into the classroom. 
and we could channel that. So if he had accompanied this with a sensible set of reforms, I think, uh, and prisons, for example, we probably have too many people in prison, but we spend far more per incarcerated inmate for each individual incarcerated inmate than the take-home pay of a typical California family. Uh, So a lot of spending, we're spending too much getting too little. So I think to kind of justify increases, he would have been on firmer ground if he had sensible reforms that might make the the existing funds go further and the new funds be sensibly uh, allocated. Now maybe he has some proposals to do that down the road, but there wasn't a lot of that in this budget. Would you say that this budget is more uh, fiscally responsible than what we've seen from uh, the former governor, Governor Jerry Brown, uh, starting with uh, Henry Brady? Well, I'd say it's as fiscally responsible if you assume that it's also important to think about investment in the future. I would also say that this state uh, is really being a leading state in trying to develop a reserve fund, and I think that's really important. I agree that I'd like to see it be bigger than it is, but it's really hard politically to create reserve funds. And I really am impressed with the fact that the former governor, Governor Brown, and the new governor are trying to at least hold the course with creating a bigger and bigger reserve fund. Uh, The trouble with reserve funds is the legislature sees all that money sitting there and quickly wants to spend it. And I think the fact that he's devoting $13.6 billion to the reserve fund and to uh, pension and other issues uh, where we have to solve problems really shows a political resolve, especially against a pretty liberal California Democratic legislature. I think that's fair, but I have to give it an incomplete because we don't know about it. So Jerry Brown, I think, on the spending side did well, but I think that he had uh, some, this giant boondoggle of high-speed rail, which is no longer high-speed and probably is going to, well, if it ever gets built, it'll cost eight or ten times, Californians eight or ten times more than they originally promised and will be a 1960s or 70s technology in 2030 or 40. So, um, so without knowing what he plans to do for that and what his future plans are about pensions, uh, it remains to be seen. Now, there's a court case pending on the California rule, which had a very generous and expansive definition of what even a, somebody who had just started work was entitled to for the rest of their life. That is up on the Supreme, California Supreme Court, and we'll see what happens. But my point is, if this is a down payment, next year, the year after, the year after that, the year after that, these are going to have to be bigger to keep pace just with the accrual of the unfunded liabilities, let alone to pay down that number uh, more than a trivial amount. So I think it's an incomplete. I think it's good in some ways that he's continued this. I'm reminded by Henry's comments of a famous set of books written by Theodore White called The Making of the President. And one of them, I think it was about Kennedy, said one of the reasons people vote for a president is to protect them from other people's congressmen. So I guess what Henry's saying is we need the governor to protect us from other people's uh, assembly men and women and senators uh, and their desire to spend even more. So I think it's very important that holds. All right. Very, very last question. Uh, Hoping to keep this uh, under about a minute for both of you. Start with Henry Brady. What are you going to be looking for in uh, Governor Newsom's first year? What uh, what is going to tell you that he's kind of on track and what's going to tell you he's off track? Well, it's well to remember this is the budget, of course, that's been put forth just essentially minutes after he became governor. And he was involved in creating it, but he hasn't had a lot of time to really think about how to reform programs. So I uh, would be looking for what kinds of new reforms what kinds of new approaches is he going to be looking for? I'm heartened, by the way, it's a little thing in the budget, but that he's actually spending $10 million for a longitudinal data set to watch 
people in California as they go from preschool through K through 12, through higher education and all the way into the workforce to see if we can't figure out what works and what doesn't work so we can do a better job of helping California's uh, lead productive lives. And Michael Boskin, what will you be looking for? Yeah, I, I, I would echo that. I'd say two or three things. First, does he have a series of reforms he's interested in, interested in promoting and willing to try uh, to try to make things more effective, more useful, less costly where that's possible, and expand things that are working and contract and shut down things that aren't? Uh, second, I'm looking for this capital budget, whether he has the, the sense and perhaps the political cojones, if I can use that term, uh, to scale back uh, or end uh, the uh, tragedy that is high speed no longer high-speed rail. And third, I'd look for his negotiations with the legislature. It'll set, uh, it'll set a, uh, a standard for the rest of his term. And if he caves to too many things with the legislature now, the rest of his four years is going to be hard to, uh, to be that governor uh, of the machine. All right, and we're going to have to leave it on that point. Uh, Henry Brady, Michael Boskin, thank you both for joining us. Thank you. You're welcome, Keith. Take care. Henry, be well. You've been listening to KCBS's In-Depth as we examine newly elected Governor Gavin Newsom's first week in office. Join us again next time when we take another deep dive into some of the top news stories of the week. I'm Keith Manconi, and I'll see you then. Now let's get to work. Thank you all very much. Thank you for bearing through that. And thank you for indulging my kids. I'm humbled and honored. You've just heard KCBS In-Depth, a news interview program for all news 740 and FM 106.9 KCBS. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.